When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we get into our episode, I wanted to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you rate us. Make sure you reach out if you have questions, ideas, or suggestions for the future. And you can send an email to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. You can also reach out to us on socials. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at book nerds. But with all of that stuff out of the way, let's hop into today's topic. So today I have Emma, I have Jill, and then returning guest, we've got Marissa, my teammate from the marketing department here with us today. And we are going to be talking about books we cannot stop recommending. And honestly, when you think about it, we all have a list of books at the ready to recommend. Very often, these are those same books to new people. We've checked out our Reddit history, Goodreads lists, borrowed Smart Tag and Libby, and most recent text messages with our book buds. And we're ready to share the books we always share when asked by someone, what should they be reading? If we can't think of something current, we pull one of these. Just starting in the genre, pull one of those. You'll hear a tiny bit of our why as we go through each title, but let's dive in. Everyone, hello. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey. How's it going? Goofy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm joining you for my first silly, goofy mood. (laughs) Yeah. You sure are. You are. (laughs) I'm honored. It's a silly, goofy mood day. Marissa, welcome back. How have you been since last you were here giving us celebrity memoirs? So good. Have not read a celebrity memoir since, (laughs) but super stoked to be on this episode where I can actually recommend books that I love and adore. And also credit where credit is due. I believe this was your idea. So it it was, I think it was, it it was your idea. (laughs) So I want to start off with a disclaimer, AKA a space for Emma and I to bring up the books that we're not bringing up today that you've heard us bring up a thousand times in the past year or so that we've been together. Um, I won't be talking about the two house books that I very often recommend because like I said, I've brought them up a lot, uh, probably more than enough, but shout out to the house in the cerulean sea by TJ Klune and the house across the lake by Riley Sager, which I throw out any chance I get. So I'll be avoiding houses. Emma, how about you? I love that you called them the house books. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's Accurate. Uh, yeah, I will spare everybody and not mention any books in the realm of Sarah J. Mass. And that's that. But know that if you would like to talk about them or you would like fantasy or you would like romance, that those would be ones I would suggest. <laughs> but no, we don't need, I did a whole episode all about it. We had the lovely people from Graphic Audio come on and talk about them. 
just know that I'm thinking about them during this episode, but I'm not going to mention them for this specifically. Try to give people variety. Just know that Emma's thinking about them in every episode. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. When is the next one coming? When will we get a new cover? When will that Illumicrate ship? Like, Yeah, that's actually true. Joe and I talked about it this morning because I had like a episode while I was messaging him because I got an email that my Illumicrate Crescent City set is going to ship soon. (laughs) I truly thought something had happened because the message was had gone from normal to wild but to like unhinged but fully unhinged (laughs) no just another monday morning with me you're welcome everyone hannah tested is a normal monday morning with emma (laughs) so that yeah so that's the great mood that everyone's finding me in you're welcome (laughs) let's dive in marissa as our guest i want to let you rip off the band-aid and give us your first book that you can't stop recommending. Tell us a little bit about it. And if you've got some context of like your why or to whomst you are recommending, also love to hear it. No pressure. For sure. I'd happy to start us off. So I'm going all the way back to 1999 and I am recommending The Transall Saga by Gary Paulson. 13-year-old Mark Harrison has a week to hike across the desert love. He will meet his parents on the other side. By his fourth day, he's made good time. As he settles in for the night, he gazes upon the stars, feeling completely content. Suddenly, a blue light streams from the sky, jolting Mark into another dimension. Now, in a land filled with strange jungle animals and primitive tribes, Mark desperately battles hunger, armed enemies, and superhuman powers. To find the way back to his own world, Mark will need to find a greater resource and strength, but time is running out. So first off, rest in peace, Gary Paulson, passed in 2021. It was such a sad day for me. He was one of the first writers that really influenced my love of reading back in, you know, preteen times, and more specifically, my love of survival stories. So I think most preteens, like most preteens, Hatchet was my first introduction to Gary Paulson. And once I read it, I proceeded to read every book in his catalog uh, that even had a whisper of outdoor adventure. And I could have named any of his books for this because I do recommend all of his. But what I love about Transall Saga is the science fiction element to it. So it's not just a survival story. It kind of has that edit added element of you know it's not just your typical jungle it's a the world building is nice and I just love this book so if you have a kid that like me jumped in the creek six times a day new clothes new fresh clothes every time my mother hated me because of the laundry that I would build up if they like to hike, if they like to dig in the dirt, if their dream is to go out in the woods with nothing but a hatchet and survive for a night, then your kids should be reading this book, whether it's like your son or daughter, your niece or nephew. Um, yeah, a friend of a friend, they should read it. Marissa, I love that. And thank you for starting us off with Gary Paulson. You are spot on the hold that hatchet had on me, the series. But see, I just read all of the hatchet books and i think guts the nonfiction one i d- 
don't think I ever realized or thought to look into what the rest of Gary Paulson's catalog was. I will say it is very YA. So as an adult, I've gone back and read it as an adult. And, you know, there are some things that you're like, that's a little out of the realm of possibility or how convenient that this has, you know, he's in a perilous situation and like this savior comes, you know, but as a 13 year old, well, I read it in sixth grade. I want to say I ate it up. I loved it. A little too deus ex machina for you now, but still good then. I don't, well, and that is another interesting point of like, where did YA make that shift that like, I read a lot of YA now that you couldn't, one of the ones on my list today, you couldn't tell me that that wasn't just like an adult title, but they were young people. So yeah, depends on, depends on when you found it or what their, what their audience was. For sure. This is taking me back. Your Gary Paulson recommendation is reminding me of all the other books I loved in that same time period that I forget to recommend, but would probably fall into this category. And I'm thinking of Wendelin Van Drainen, if you guys remember those flipped was a book. You might remember the cover or Stargirl, Jerry Spinelli. Anyways, that just reminded me of that. And those are some of my like go-to favorites from that era. Maniac McGee. I, yeah. Yeah. The, the way we were all like, do I remember this one? And then you said Stargirl and we yeah, all just. Spinelli. Yeah, Spinelli. <laughs> uh, but no, in a non sequitur to my first pick then, because you went really lovely with Gary Paulson and my first pick on this list is Karen Slaughter. Uh, um, and it's Pretty Girls, which is probably one of her most gruesome books ever. So I've talked about this book on the podcast before, I'm sure, but not in too much detail because it's kind of just a, again, a book I, I mentioned in, in times of people asking for some type of gripping thriller, but to give you a little bit more context, this is one of her standalone novels from 2015 and This follows Claire and Lydia 20 years ago, their teenage sister, Julia, just absolutely vanishes. Uh, There's no trace left of her whatsoever. And so Claire and Lydia haven't spoken since all of the things happened with their sister going missing. Their lives are totally different. So I do love this kind of setup where they're estranged. They have completely different lives. Claire is a trophy wife married to a millionaire in Atlanta. Lydia is a single mother dating an ex-con and struggling to make ends meet. So we're really setting the stage here for the two different paths that these women have gone down. Um, But the thing that they both share is that neither of them has really recovered from everything that's happened to them in the past, the heartbreak, the, you know, just not knowing what happened to their sister, the horror of all the different possibilities of things that could have happened to her. Uh, All sort of come back up to light when Claire when Claire's husband is killed. Uh, So then we have the disappearance of another teenage girl, the murder of the middle-aged man um, over a quarter of a century apart. Why are these two things related? Buckle up is all I have to say. Buckle up. So forming a wary truce, the two sisters, Claire and Lydia, look to the past to uncover secrets, to try to figure out what happened to their sister And whoa, boy, do they uncover some things. I don't have anything else to say other than this is so powerfully written. 
It is so good. There are so many twists that absolutely shook me to my core. And I, that doesn't happen that often with thrillers just because we've, we've read, we've read so many of them, but if anybody asks and they have a high tolerance for the gruesome and the grim and the, the violent, I recommend pretty girls by Karen Slaughter. It's the absolute perfectly written mystery thriller. Like it's just so good. Um, but as I've disclaimed, I think a couple of times, it is absolutely not for the faint of heart. So if you do not like violence, if you do not like gore, if you do not like things that are difficult to stomach, I have other books for you, not this one, <laughs> but I just, I, I read this book, I think in 2015 when it came out or, or shortly thereafter, and I have not stopped thinking about it since it's like six years later, seven years. I can't do math. It's a long time later. Yeah, but that's quite the recommendation. It's a long time later. Important note of, of kind of the content warning, but right to still be thinking about it this far after with the amount of thrillers you read anyway, and this kind of like genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Karen Slaughter in general, I always can count on for a really well done thriller, but of the standalone thrillers that she's written that I've read over the last, you know, half a dozen years, this one always is the bar with which I hold, you know, measure all of her other books too. So it's just so good. Can confirm. Can confirm. It's so good. I like, yeah. And it sounds like there's a lot of really disparate things. I don't know that I did the greatest justice at this in the description, but I promise you, if this is up your street, give it a try. I think you'll be hooked from the first few chapters. Yeah. It's a good one. I'm looking at my picks really quickly and noticing that they're just literally in two veins. We have this, this vein, the thriller mystery track, and then we have romance. So, I mean, you know, (laughs) mine are all wild. They're all over the place. So who knows what we like? What is yours, Jill? So mine is also about sisters. Fun fact. Um, my first one is Homegoing by Yad Jesse. So this starts in Ghana in 18th century, and two half sisters are born into different um villages, and they are each unaware of the other. Um, one will go on to marry an Englishman and lead a life of comfort in the palatial rooms of the Cape Coast Castle. The other will be captured and arrayed on her village and imprisoned in that very same castle and sold into slavery. And from there, these two sisters and their descendants, um, this, the book follows the parallel paths, like going back and forth between each generation of the sisters um, from the Gold Coast to the plantations of Mississippi, from the American Civil War to Jazz Age Harlem and continuing on into the present. Um, there is so much I love about this book. I, first, it's just incredibly well-written in a way that I can't even really describe to you. You just have to read it. Mostly what I like is I love generational stories like this, but they're so overwhelming because they can be so long and you just like really have to commit. And sometimes I don't want to do that with a big book and homegoing is not a gigantic tome. Um, it's 
it's a very reasonable read because she writes so efficiently and so effectively and um still captures that each generation very distinctly um in terms of voice you know because for half of the the descendants that you're going through they come from Africa and sort of writing that into it versus writing the American side that has gone on to America and continues to live in America. Um, it's just, it's just a lovely, lovely, lovely book. And I love everything about it. It also has a really good audiobook um, where um, Dominic Hoffman, the actor does all of the voices and just like the book, you get very distinct written ideas of who each character in each generation is that Dominic Hoffman does all of them is wild to me as a listener like it's we'll just say it's on par with my next book in audiobook version we'll just say that and we'll come back to that in a moment So my first pick is from all the way back in 2016. It is in the same vein as Emma's first pick. Uh, This is In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware. I grabbed this title, uh, which just so happens to be her debut title, uh, for when folks are looking for a good thrill ride, something like The Girl on the Train or Gone Girl, or if they're just looking for an intro to Ruth's books as a whole. This is a really great place to start. Why not start with the first one? A weekend away deep in the English countryside that takes a sinister twist. So Lenora, who is known by Lita some, Nora to others, is a reclusive writer. But when an old friend unexpectedly invites her to a weekend away in an eerie glass house, she reluctantly agrees to make the trip. But a haunting realization creeps into the party. They are not alone in the woods. 48 hours later, Nora wakes up in a hospital bed with the knowledge that someone is dead. Wondering not what happened, but what have I done, she tries to piece together the events of the past weekend. In order to uncover the secrets and reveal motives, Nora must revisit parts of herself that she'd rather leave buried where they belong in the past. I love an unreliable narrator. I love that before and after kind of motif. And I love a good thrill ride. And this is a great thrill ride from Ruth Ware. I think if you are curious about her other books, start here. Um, I think if you just like a thriller and you haven't read any of Ruth's books, this is a great place to dive in. You'll have a handful of, of great books to read through. So that is In a Dark, Dark Wood by Ruth Ware. You really do love an unreliable narrator. I love an unreliable narrator. It's my favorite. <laughs> that is why you love the house across the lake. Thank you. Yeah. That, that tie it all together, please. That's why I love the house across the lake. That is why like half of the books I read, they have these hidden locked up memories, like half of Riley Sager's books, you know, a jackal. That's why that was definitely a, a strong favorite. Another that probably belonged in that disclaimer, not on my list, but I think I spent all of 2022 recommending it to everyone I met. It's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, anywhere that someone doesn't know all the details, I'm into it. Yeah. Plus we just like a cabin in the woods, Mm -hmm. you know, lake house, (laughs) somewhere secluded vibe. Oh, absolutely. Which also makes me seem like a psycho because for like (laughs) most of my youth growing up and into adulthood, my family friends 
had a cabin in the woods which is where we would go to me and my best friend would go to watch horror movies and i mean like it was the last house on the left behind it was a whole cornfield um and down the road a short two second walk was a graveyard like and it was on a on a lake like like this is what we did and i didn't ever think twice so i would read these books and i go who would who would do that and then i'd look up and i'm in this i'm in the cabin uh which is just like giant windows out into the darkness and sliding glass doors toward the cornfield and the forest and it, you know so maybe there's something wrong with me but i'll let y'all decide <laughs> I, I will say the glass house element of mm-hmm. this book definitely adds an unexpected layer that you don't really think about until you're in that situation. Because just a few months ago, I was in Hocking Hills in a glass house, like a glass cabin, um, deep in the Hocking Hills woods. And I could not stop thinking about this book in like the worst way possible. (laughs) I'm like, it really is creepy. I can't, like they had lights on the tree line property. Um, there was another cabin that the property, like on the same property that the same owners owned. Like I, we could see it, like we could see the roof, but it's when it's night and you can't see anything out there. It's creepy, man. It is creepy. And you just, you don't, you don't actually know what that feels like until you're in that moment. That is true. It is a unique experience to be just in a dark, dark wood. In a dark, dark wood in a glass house when you can look out and you're like, I know people could look into these windows, but I am blind by the dark. I can't see that far out even with, and even the tree line was at a limit to like how far the lights went out into the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun times. I mean, very enjoyable, but weird. <laughs> I grew up um, 20 minutes from the Hawking Hills. And another 40 minutes in the opposite direction is Portsmouth, where Joe recently visited because of the Mothman. And in the Mothman Prophecies movie, there's a scene where a woman is like standing at her kitchen sink, looking out, and there's like a tall, like as tall of the trees, like red eyes looking in. And I'm not exaggerating when I said, when I say from the time that I watched that movie until I was like, maybe 17 I was like I'm going to grow up in a house that does not have any windows because it freaked me out so much (laughs) and now I love plants so that can't happen but (laughs) back then I was like you will not catch me ever looking outside in the dark to some bright red glowing eyes so I would never ever stay in that cabin Jill like you could not pay me to stay in that cabin there is something about the full glass that does make it truly terrifying because there were definitely nights where we had watched like the strangers and spooked ourselves out and then the the kitchen window looked into the cornfield so it was the same thing like well uh, we won't be doing dishes tonight we will do them tomorrow (laughs) spooky all right so with my first pick you saw that I was a sucker for a survival story so I have one more for you (laughs) Um, but unlike Transal Saga, this harrowing story is 100% real. 
My next pick is Endurance, Shackleton's Incredible Voyage by Alfred Lansing. In August 1914, polar explorer Ernest Shackleton boarded the Endurance and set sail for Antarctica, where he planned to cross the last uncharted continent on foot. In January 1915, after battling its way through a thousand miles of pack ice and only a day's sail short of its destination, the Endurance became locked in an island of ice. Thus began the legendary ordeal of Shackleton and his crew of 27 men. When their ship was finally crushed between the two ice floats, uh, or ice flows, they attempted a near impossible journey over 850 miles of the South Atlantic's heaviest seas to the closest outpost of civilization. With an introduction by Nathaniel Philbrick, Endurance is the definitive account of Ernest Shackleton's fateful trip. Alfred Lansing brilliantly narrates the gripping and miraculous voyage that has defined heroism for the modern age. Joe, you've literally sat next to me as I've recommended this book to people. <laughs> um, I would say that it is probably my most recommended book of any book ever. I read it in college as part of my uh, courses. I got a degree in outdoor recreation. Thank you, Gary Paulson, for inspiring me to get a degree in something that I never got a job in, but loved my college years. And I think that the back jacket cover says just about everything you need to know about this book, except I would add that it's also the greatest story of leadership ever told. Um, while we'll probably never find ourselves stranded in an ice desert hellscape, I do think that anyone that hopes to lead a team in the future, whether it's as a manager, as a coach, as a teacher, um, they can all take away a lesson or two from Ernest Shackleton. And that's why this book is one of the, the books that I recommend time and time and time again. Um, and it's also written it's narrative, but it includes uh, the diary entries of every man on that trip. So it really is like his retelling of this, like the authentic version of the story, you know, because he used those diaries. So highly recommend one of my favorite books of all time. Indeed, been next to you as you've recommended this. And it, and it is such a good point because half the time you are recommending it to someone who wants that kind of confidence or that leadership knowledge and it's like you can get a great story that is real and tips for how to kind of lead the pack uh, and i love any time that we can have beautiful narrative storytelling combined with an actual excerpt from you know that kind of primary source document for sure and they found the endurance in march of last year they found the ship and I'm pretty sure right now they're like doing dives, taking cameras down there and fingers crossed there's going to be a documentary like that will make my life. My life will be complete once I see a documentary of like of the found ship. But um, yeah, look forward to that. Read the book first and then look forward to that documentary coming out. That was a day when that I remember the messages I received when that happened. <laughs> My next recommendation that I often throw out when folks are looking for, again, a similar 
thriller vibe, but not particularly as gruesome, perhaps as Karen Slaughter. And that is Sadie by Courtney Summers. We love Courtney Summers. This book came out in 2018. It is young adult. So I think in a way it's maybe not quite as grim as Karen Slaughter, but it is still addressing, you know, mature issues and adult themes. And this was really innovative at the time. And I think still continues to be the format of this integrates the usage of podcasting and true crime podcasting into the actual context of the book. We've seen that, I think, quite a bit now in recent years where you have people investigating a crime as part of a podcast or something like that. But I think this was one of the, this was one of the first books I ever saw that did it in this format. And so there's a popular radio personality named West McRae, and he receives a desperate phone call from a stranger imploring him to find 19 year old runaway Sadie Hunter. He's not convinced that there's a story there. Girls go missing all the time. But when it's revealed that Sadie fled home after the brutal murder of her little sister, Maddie, West travels to the small town of Cold Creek, Colorado to uncover what happened. Sadie has no idea that her journey to avenge her sister will soon become the subject of a blockbuster podcast. Armed with a switchblade, Sadie follows meager clues, hoping they'll lead to the man who took Maddie's life because she's determined to make him pay with his own. But as West traces her path to the darkest, most dangerous corners of big cities and small towns, a deeply unsettling mystery begins to unfold, one that's bigger than them both. Can he find Sadie before it's too late? This story alternates between Sadie's voice as she hunts for the killer and the podcast transcripts that track the clues that she's left behind. This is, again, one of those books that will stay with you once you've finished. It is so, so, so well done. And I absolutely loved the format of going between the podcast transcripts and then actually following Sadie as she's tracking these clues. And I know several colleagues listened to the audiobook and really enjoyed that as well, obviously because of the nature of podcasting and audiobooks and things like that. But Sadie by Courtney Summers is one of those books that I often recommend to people time and time again. And we are also suckers when you've got multimedia books, you've got a podcast within a book, a mm-hmm. book within a book. If you're doing the reading challenge, you got a map in the front of the book. We we love but this this book is fantastic and the audio i can attest the audiobook version is wonderful um i would be curious like if it had come out even like a year later or a year or two later because we did see that change where we were getting uh, dual narrators for things i think mm-hmm. this book would do well with that treatment where you know that kind of that her storyline is happening from one narrator and the podcast is happening from a different narrator but i do think um I think it's really well done exactly as it is. And I think it really came out at a time with which the true crime podcast serial type of thing was really at its peak. I mean, it's, I don't think it's gone away by any means, but I think that that was a time where everyone, you know, could identify some type of true crime podcast or serialized 
listening uh, that they were either actively following or had heard about. And it was sort of the talk of the town, you know, to have a true crime podcast and follow these things in sort of real time, the investigative, I can't speak, investigative journalism and those sorts of things. And this book took that sort of next level for me and did it in a way that I was super interested in. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. They actually just came out with a, a show in 2022. BJ Novak is like the lead in it of this setup, essentially. Like it was like a girl that he had a one night stand with died and everyone thought that he was her boyfriend. So they like contact him and he's a journalist and he goes like back to her town and solves her murder. Ashton Kutcher's in it and his role is like so funny too. Um but if you, Emma, if you haven't heard of this, you should definitely check it. Well, all of you are nodding your heads as Emma. I've never heard of this book. I hadn't. No. Yes, uh, please. But yeah, the, it's like a good like film ver- or TV version of, of this book. I Once you said that, I remembered the preview, but I have not seen it. And I'm like, oh, yes, that I, I need to watch. Vengeance from 2022. It's a thriller mystery movie. One hour, 47 minutes. I think I watched it. Did I watch it? It's so good. It's so good. My next one, no surprise to anybody probably, is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. So when I recommend this, I always very, very specifically recommend the audiobook version because the audiobook is unlike any other audiobook that I've really listened to. Um, 
except for something like Lincoln, the Bardo. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned Homegoing's audiobook because Dominic Hoffman does all of these very distinct separate voices. And then you have something like Daisy Jones, which is written specifically as a oral history of the rock and roll band um, Daisy Jones and the Six, and it charts sort of the rise and fall of the band. They um, Daisy is a girl growing up in L.A. in the early 70s. Um, she gets her start singing at all of the local clubs and is sort of discovered. Um, and then you have the Six, which is a band led by the brooding Billy Dunn. And um, they come together because they're under the same record label. And then Chicago, their big concert, they never perform again after it. And this is sort of presented as the first time everyone goes on a record to describe what exactly happened and how. The audiobook is everyone is given different voices, um, like different actors. And by actors, I mean like Benjamin Bratt. I mean, you have like actual, <laughs> it's not just voice actors, which are we love, we love, but um. What I love about this book, and I say this as someone who has read this book probably like 10 times in the like four years that it has come out, I will read it usually two or three times a year. You will discover new things every time you read it. This is a book that you can reread a million times and still find things. And I say that because I know because it happened on my most recent read (laughs) like two weeks ago. I have... Oh, I read the book, like the physical, the ebook, the audiobook, and I noticed something in this most recent read that I have never, ever noticed before in all of my other reads of the book, which just blew my mind. I was like, how had I never picked up on this particular element before of this particular character? And if you are looking for a book, first, if you love oral histories, like I love oral histories, you know, got to go with it. If you're a Fleetwood Mac fan, there's a lot happening here that is very similar. Um, the TV show on Prime is coming out in just a couple of weeks. But mostly, if you're looking for a book that you can reread, and if you enjoy rereading books and you enjoy picking up new things with each reread, I highly recommend Daisy Jones and the Six. And again, if you love, if you listen to audiobooks, even if you don't and you are like, I'm not so sure about audiobooks, try this one, please. That's all I ask. Just try because it's it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Jill, I love that this is a book that you have brought up time and time again and you still have so much to say about it. I think that really shows how much you love it. I mean, I read it like three times a year it came out um, and I've read it because once I read it, like the physical copy or the, the ebook, I'm like, well, now I have to listen to the audiobook. And then once I do that, I'm like, I got to go back and read it again. And so, like I could read literally nothing else for the rest of my life and I would be fine. It just, I, I get to the end of this book and every time I'm like, all I want to do right now is sit in a dark room with like candles going and like put the vinyl of Aurora on the record player and I'm mad that I can't except now that I'm going to be able to and like I just I can't quite comprehend what that means yet and it sounds so weird because I'm like it's not a real band but it feels so much like like it feels so authentic 
like Taylor Jenkins Reid just does such a good job making it feel like this is an actual band that existed and you are reading an actual oral history about that band have you watched the documentary searching for sugar man any of you no it's Mm -hmm. about um his name is sisto rodriguez and he was like a up-and-coming musician out of detroit that made one album that kind of flopped but it actually did really well in South Africa. Like he is known in South Africa as like the Elvis of the like oh, wow. United States. And there were like rumors in South Africa after this first album came out and nothing after that he like died, like caught himself on fire on stage. He was like known as like the symbol of apartheid. And so there were like all these rumors about like him dying and the documentary was in the nineties. I think they, a couple of guys in South Africa were like, we're going to find this guy or like find out what happened to him. So the documentary is like about them investigating what happened to um, Sisto Rodriguez. He ends up being alive in the U S and they like bring him over to South Africa for like this huge tour like sells out like stadium shows in South Africa um I think that you'd probably really enjoy it Jill that sounds really good I do love me a documentary so my next book is a little more in line with Marissa I've got a nonfiction pick here this is from 2014 smoke gets in your eyes and other lessons from the crematory by Caitlin Doty Let's just let's just look at the description. This will help us the most. So armed with a degree in medieval history and a flair for the macabre, Caitlin Doty took a job at a crematory and turned a morbid curiosity into her life's work. She cared for bodies of every color, shape, and affliction and became an intrepid explorer in the world of the dead. In this best-selling memoir, brimming with gallows humor and vivid characters, she marvels at the gruesome history of undertaking and relates her unique coming-of-age story with bold curiosity and mordant wit. By turns hilarious, dark, and uplifting, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes reveals how the fear of dying warps our society. So, and of course... um, I want to just give like a content warning. There are talks of suicide. This is a book about death, the dead. Uh, So, you know, just be mindful uh, before you dive into this recommendation. But you may already be familiar with Caitlin's YouTube series, Ask Mortician, where she demystifies the world of death. But this title is such a powerful look from behind the curtain. I would also pair this with her 2017 release, From Here to Eternity, where Caitlin embarks on a global expedition to discover the death customs from other cultures. So it's a look into funerary customs from around the world that expands our sense of what it means to treat the dead with dignity, while also questioning the rituals of the American funeral industry. So looking at why do we embalm, why do we almost exclusively embalm here in America? What are some of the other options in terms of natural burials uh, here in the States? And yeah, but so I was first reading Smoke Gets in Your Eyes when my aunt unexpectedly passed away. Uh, and there was something so helpful through this like kind of through my own shock and grief about understanding how the funeral process worked. I mean, this was not the first death in my life. It was very far from it, but it was truly an unexpected shock. Uh, So this is a great title for anyone who is just kind of curious. They want to know 
how the industry works. They want to know what their options are. They want to be more informed uh, for folks kind of processing mortality as a whole, uh, but also especially like I was for those who are grieving. Caitlin has a beautiful wit and she is just so considerate in her storytelling. Uh, both her YouTube series and her books are brilliant. She also has a a version for children. Um, I believe it's will my cat eat my eyeballs um, and other <laughs> and other myths kind of demystified. So it's a it's a younger age title to help kids with death. So um, her books as a whole are beautiful. Her storytelling, it, just looking at all of this, uh, I love to recommend this one because death is a hard topic. It's not something we talk about. And it is also hard to support people when they're going through grief because everyone grieves a little differently and you may not know what you need uh, when you need it. So something like this where you can just listen to someone's honest and earnest experience is very helpful. And uh, yeah, so that is Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory by Caitlin Doty. Not to get so totally morbid, but do you guys know what you want done with your body when you die? Oh, that's a great question. I put a lot of thought into it. Oh, I'll probably cremation. Like I'm a cremation family and I'm like, don't do anything. I don't, whatever. <laughs> I like the idea of cre cremation, but I also have been really interested. My TikTok has been providing me um, a lot of natural burial options as well. And I really yes. like the idea of a dramatic, like put my body on a pyre. There's a place in Oregon that does that. Um, there's also a, like a facility where you can basically compost your body. Um, so I, I don't know for sure yet. Uh, my default, if I died tomorrow, I would say cremation. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I'd like to keep exploring what my options are. I don't want to be pumped full of chemicals and then burned. Just. I want to be donated to science, but not, but like specifically, they call it the body farm. It's in Texas or New Mexico or Arizona, one of those. Um, and they basically like put your body out in natural elements and then like do research on how you decompose and stuff. And it's for like, you know, forensic, you know, science for when people are murdered and or or just like die out in the, you know, in nature and like trying to figure out like how long they, their body's been there and stuff. Like, I would love to do that. I know that's really weird, but if I'm you into haven't it. read From Fear to Eternity or From Here to Eternity, uh, there are lots of talks of, of different places similar to that where Ooh. they're using bodies from science for uh, different learning purposes. So <laughs> tie that right back in. I forgot about the body farm. I remember mm -hmm. reading about that years ago. Yes, that is pretty cool. I want to be useful when I die. Like, don't just, yeah, don't just bury me in the ground. Like, I want to contribute to something. So I'm going to be a little awkward here and go from talking about how I want my body to decompose in the sun to food. Um, my next pick is also nonfiction, like my last. I'm a big nonfiction reader. Actually, my third pick, fourth pick is also nonfiction. Um, but it is really great for anyone who is looking to fill the cookbook spot on their professional book nerds reading challenge. So I don't know um, if anyone knows this, but I am a huge pro book nerds stan. And so I do do the challenge every year. And even though I'm not a host, I'm definitely calling it out in this episode. 
So um, yeah, my next pick, The Food Lab by J. Kinji Lopez-Alts. I love that Jill's like doing a little dance. It's such a good book. So ever wondered how to pan fry a steak with a charred crust and an interior that's perfectly medium rare from edge to edge when you cut into it? How to make homemade mac and cheese that is as satisfyingly gooey and velvety smooth as the blue box stuff, but far tastier? How to roast a succulent moist turkey, forget about brining, and use a foolproof method that works every time? As Serious Eats Culinary Nerd in Residence, J. Kenji Lopez-Ald has pondered all these questions and more. In the Food Lab, Kenji focuses on the science behind beloved American dishes, delving into the interactions between heat, energy, and molecules that create great food. Kenji shows that often conventional methods don't work that well, and home cooks can achieve far better results using new but simple techniques. So uh, cooking is somewhat of a foundational part of my friend group. We spend the majority of our time at any party in the kitchen, like literally most of any party that I go to, I'm in the kitchen. And now that my friend group has really like spread apart across the U.S., when we visit each other, we often dedicate an entire day around like making an elaborate meal. And this book has seriously changed my entire friend group's uh, like game when it comes to home cooking. What I think makes this book so good is that it centers around science. So you really understand why you cook the things a certain way to achieve the best result. Unlike Pinterest, where they're just like, now you fold the butter into the dough and you get that scene, you know, fold, fold. How do you fold? You're like really understanding why you do things, how you do them. And it makes your cooking so much better. And you do not need a mind for science to enjoy this book. I am not a science person and I love this book. I break it out all the time when I'm cooking. Um, You don't necessarily have to read it front to back. You can be like, I'm making vegetables tonight and flip to that section. So I really recommend anyone who's interested in leveling up their cooking in the kitchen, especially now when we're all like kind of scared financially and probably eating out less and you're like, you know, tempted to order in, but instead crack this book open, make restaurant quality vegetables at home and save a few bucks. His work is just so, oh, I was introduced to it from uh, Binging with Babish because he very often references this book specifically as like, this is where I get this technique from. And it is so important because it does demystify cooking, that it brings the science element into it, and that it isn't about the complex reactions of what's happening. It's just like, this make food good. Like, it's it's so digestible, pun intended. And like you said, if you're already a, a good home cook, this is a way to, to step it up to the next level. And it, it's scary, but it's a great reference to just pull out. I'm going to check this out because my home cooking is at no level. So... If we can step it up even slightly, that would be ideal in an approachable way. (laughs) Yeah. He recently came out with a second book called Walk um, that obviously focuses on the walk. I have not, um, like, I didn't dive into it like I did this one because this one is more general to, like, cooking um, of all types. But I would love to read Walk 
uh, in its entirety, because I would say that is somewhere in the kitchen that I I lack is like making really good, like uh, international food. So that's next on my list for sure. I was going to add all the cookbooks to my list and then just not cook from them, but I have good intentions. (laughs) Joe's dying of laughter. I thought, uh, my next pick I will be brief on because this is one of those books that probably falls into the category of you've heard it a billion times. So stop talking about it on this podcast. And that is the You series by Caroline Kepnes. Just read it if you haven't. I'm just going to plug it again. The new season of You part one, new season four part one came out on Netflix over the weekend. If you haven't read the books yet, and you like the show, check it out. They are not the same. So in terms of adaptations that are different than the source material, keep that in mind. But in this case, I don't think different means worse. I just think different is different. And I go to the books for different things than I would watch the series for. And I don't mind it. If you have avoided the Netflix series, you, and would just like to read a creepy book, book series, go ahead and do it now in advance of the fourth book coming out later this year. That's all. That's my plug for you. This series by Caroline Kepnes. I know we're trying to keep it brief, but man, oh man, I know I've said it already too, but I basically live tweeted these to Emma over our winter Mm -hmm. break while I read the books for the first time. And I am now starting the series because I know that it's not like it's a bad adaptation. They just ran out of source material when they were creating it. So they made up their own story. So it's it's not even like, oh, it's unfaithful. You're just picking a different poison. And I am still, I will forever be fascinated by how she came up with Joe Goldberg forever. Yeah. And maybe we'll find out sometime soon. Oh, hint, hint. Maybe we'll know. But yes, I recommend this series. Again, I love the audiobooks. Shout out Santino Fontana. Come on the podcast. And yeah, the audiobooks are great. He narrates all of the audiobooks from Joe's perspective. They're also a really quick read if that is more your style. Again, they're creepy. They're thrillery. Some of them get quite not gory, but kind of, yeah. And, but I will say it's, um, a campy good time. I think the show does capture the campiness, uh, pretty well, but it is just a great series. I always go back to, if I need an audiobook. I listen to this one. I don't know what that says about me. I just really enjoy Santino's narration and, It's gripping enough, but I don't have to necessarily pay meticulous attention to every single detail of this book to still feel immersed in the world of Jill Goldberg. So my next book um, is nonfiction. It is called The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn. When this book came out a couple of years ago, I did not up until now, up until I read it, I didn't really know a lot about Jonestown other than like the very overarching like the end of jonestown i knew about the end of jonestown that's all i knew um but jeff gwynn um takes a very very deep dive this is a very big book 
um, starting in the 1950s when a young Indianapolis minister named, named Jim Jones started to preach a curious blend of the gospel and Marxism. His congregation was racially mixed, and he was a leader in the early civil rights movement. Eventually, Jones moved his church, People's Temple, to Northern California, where he got involved in electoral politics and became a prominent Bay Area leader. But underneath the surface looked a terrible darkness. And so this, this book was just so, like, totally sucked me in. And just learning about Jim Jones's entire life from his early days as this idealistic, you know, minister to all of the steps and events that led up to everything that happened in Jonestown. What I found most interesting is all of the things that history remembers incorrectly about Jonestown once it has sort of crossed over into like the zeitgeist and everyone's like, oh, sure, Jonestown. There were survivors at Jonestown, which I was not aware of. Um, also, it wasn't Kool-Aid. It was flavoring because they couldn't afford, like that was the cheaper stuff. They couldn't afford Kool-Aid. Um, it made me really reconsider um, the phrase about Kool-Aid that we use. And like, is that is that really something we just want to like casually throw around, like drinking the Kool-Aid? It, it's a fascinating read. They, Jeff Gwynn does not hold back. You get very, especially at the end when he starts to really describe that day and what the FBI found when they arrived at Jonestown. Um, it's awful. And just absolutely, just everything that, that happened is just, is just truly horrific. And so just be prepared for that part. Uh, but I loved his writing style and he has a new book out um about Waco and the Branch Davidians and I'm I'm very much looking forward to reading that but if you're looking for just like a really good nonfiction book about a topic that I think a lot of people think they know about even though it's a big book I I definitely recommend The Road to Jonestown it's also just really well written and presented in a very riveting narrative nonfiction type of way. I really enjoyed this book. I find Jonestown so fascinating. It is so dark. And I love your point, Jill, of like, yeah, maybe we should think of saying things like, oh, I drank the Kool-Aid. Because, right, I mean, we still have such a cult problem in the United States. And saying things like that, does diminish the meaning and like we we are missing the lesson here we we are and i think that's a good point too talking about the cults because you know i'm someone who has a morbid curiosity about cults as someone on the outside who's never been in one i think people have this idea of the types of people who end up in cults and like this has come up in various podcast episodes we've done like this, I think, is a good example of how easy it is for folks to, if you have a very charismatic leader like Jim Jones, who did not start, like, his he started as a minister. He had a solid, positive goal. <laughs> he started out, and then it became something else. But because he had sort of had these followers already, they just sort of followed him into the burning building. And 
I think it sort of sheds that light on how easy it really could be for any of us to end up in a situation where we have been indoctrinated in that way without really realizing it. It's like that sort of um, terrible cliche about, you know, lobsters and boiling water or whatever, where they just, it just starts warming up and you're all of a sudden you've been boiled to death. Um, so I think that was the other thing is that you sort of look at it from that perspective of, because they do talk to survivors in this book because there were survivors at Jonestown, which is again, didn't realize that until reading this book. <laughs> yeah. So for my kind of third slot here, I, I'm going to put two books together because I ended up with five on my list. And these two were tough for me to put because I do recommend them a lot, but they are so well, they're both so well known that I'm sure most of you have already read or heard of these books, but this is my plea that if you haven't read them, give them a shot. Two entirely different genres, entirely different reasons why I would uh, kind of recommend these. But first, from 2011, when I graduated high school, is Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Um, and it's less and less that I can recommend this book because, you know, most people have read it, they've seen the movie, but I do use it as a jumping off point. Have you read Ready Player One, then I go from there. It's also just really enjoyable. It's a way to start people into dystopian for the first time. I know I did just bring it up with our dystopian episode, but I love this book. This is not necessarily my Daisy Jones and the Six because I'm not that passionate of it compared to Jill with J with Daisy Jones, but I have read this book almost as much. I probably do reread or re-listen to it once a year because I, I love the story. I really enjoy the story. I think it's really well done um, and it's I mean it's just a thoughtful look at like a world at stake that's a quest for the ultimate prize are you ready that's the line one of the description so this is 2045 world has basically fallen apart um, everyone lives virtually and that's what humanity has come to they are hiding from the grim reality of the the world falling around them um, being in massive debt to live online in a vast virtual world. The creator of this program called The Oasis dies. He leaves behind a series of puzzles based on his obsession with pop culture of decades past. That should really just be read as the 80s. Um, and then whoever solves the, that's my one true complaint is it's just the 80s. Um, but whoever is the first to solve them will inherit his vast fortune and control of the Oasis itself. So we follow Wade as he cracks the first clue. And then suddenly he is surrounded by rivals who will kill him, not just in the game, but potentially in real life to take the prize. So Ready Player One, that's kind of my first there Great if you haven't read anything dystopian. Great if you just like an action adventure story. Uh, you're going between the real world and this virtual space. I love it. Um, and my second from 2018, so a little more recent, is I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Uh, much like Ready Player One, so many people have heard of this book and have already read it. But it is my go-to kind of true crime recommend if you are just starting in the genre or if you like something a little on the lighter end, which is tough considering that this is about the Golden State Killer, but because once again, it's that great jumping off point. If you haven't read this, we start here and work our way out. Um, I, it gives me a kind of good touch point of where to go next. But 
Uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark is the haunting true story of the elusive serial rapist turned murderer who terrorized California during the 70s and 80s and of the gifted journalist who died tragically while investigating the case, which was solved in April 2018. So she missed the the solving of this crime that she was obsessively researching. So for more than 10 years, the mysterious predator known as the Golden State Killer uh, assaulted along Northern California before moving south, where he perpetuated 10 sadistic murders. Then he disappeared, eluding capture by multiple police forces and some of the best detectives in the area. 30 years later, Michelle McNamara, a true crime journalist who created the popular website truecrimediary.com, was determined to find the violent psychopath she called the Golden State Killer. She poured over police reports, interviewed victims, and embedded herself in the online communities that were obsessed were as obsessed with this case as she was. So it's what she was writing at the time of her sudden death. It offers an atmospheric snapshot of a moment in American history and a chilling account of criminal mastermind and the wreckage he left behind. It's also the portrait of a woman's obsession and her unflagging pursuit of the truth. Without saying based on that description alone, you know, content warning, this was a serial rapist. So uh, keep that in mind as well as a, a murderer. But this book is beautifully written. It is so powerful to see what this hunt was doing to Michelle. Um, and also the the pain of knowing that she didn't see the conclusion of this case before her, her untimely passing. Um, she was married to Patton Oswalt. He does include an afterword in this. I believe he's on the audiobook as well to read the afterword. Um, and there is an introduction by Gillian Flynn. So uh, it's a beautiful book all around. If you've been thinking about reading it, as long as the the kind of content doesn't bother you, I think this is this is a book that you, you have to pick up. So those are my two sneaky, you've probably already heard of them, but I will still recommend them to you. Uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein and I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Okay, my last pick is for any teenager out there who is has been debilitated by cramps during their cycle, for any young adult who doesn't want to be on birth control anymore because of its side effects or for, um, you know, women who are thinking about fertility but haven't had a period in years because of something like PCOS or endometriosis. This recommendation is the Period Repair Manual by Laura Bryden. So it's your guide to better periods using natural treatments such as uh, it says diet. I say nutrition because it's not diet to get skinny. It's diet to correct a function inside your body that then impacts your period. Uh, nutritional supplements, herbal medicine, and bioidentical hormones. It contains advice and tips for women of every age and situation. If you have a period or you want one, this book is for you. Topics include how to come off hormonal birth control, what your period should look like, what could go wrong and how to talk to your doctor. Um, in the spirit of giving way too much information for a work podcast, I have been um, recently diagnosed in the past two years with uh, PCOS and endometriosis. And my periods are something that I have struggled with all the way back from the beginning. Um, but my mom was like 
a, a mom that had like four jobs and couldn't really like, you know, she didn't have time to do the research. Um, so I wished that my school had this book in their collection or I had the ability to read it before I was 30, um, because the changes that I've made based on this book have, re I've really seen results in, uh, correcting some of the issues that I struggle with. This is a book that is recommended time and time again on the PCOS subreddit. So that is when I first read it. Um, there are so many women on that subreddit who have seen changes in their period, um, whether it's because they wanted to, you know, um, achieve fertility or they, you know, wanted to get off hormonal birth control. Um, it's worked for a lot of women. It has very high reviews on Google, Goodreads, Amazon. Like it is probably, I would say the number one book that is recommended. And I'm recommending it now because I think it's so important to start correcting issues with your cycle when you're young so that you're not having to do it when you're 30 and there's a time crunch, uh, for things like having a baby. Um, you know, so yeah, my, my, uh, last recommendation period repair manual by Laura Bryden. Thank you for sharing that because you are a podcast listener and you would have been, if podcasts were around when you were at that age, you, you are the person that, that you would have heard. So I, that, I think that's very meaningful. For sure. And it impacts 50% of the population. <laughs> you know? So like, I think it's important to talk about stuff like this. And I actually really love, I feel like in the last 10 years, periods have like started coming out of being a taboo topic, which I love because the, the less taboo it is, the younger the um, age in which you start caring and being able to talk about it with your friends. You know, if a, like I was 14 and a friend was like, you know, I also throw up from pain because of my period. Here is what my doctor recommended. Like that would have been so life-changing for me. Um, so yeah, I definitely like anyone who's listening, who's in control of their Sora collection, add this so that young kids have access to it. Cause I really think it's so important. I think that's a great point, Marissa. And my next book is not as helpful a resource as that one would be. I have no segue to my next pick, um, but it is a series of books I've mentioned on the podcast before. Penny Reed has been on a couple of episodes as well. We love her. She writes contemporary romance. And so I'll just try to tie these things together and say that her contemporary romance has taught me a thing or two. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, I particularly want to recommend jo Joe's just passing away because I'm trying to be funny. And I'm just going to recommend Truth or Beard, the first book of the Winston Brothers series, although I do recommend the entire Winston Brothers series for readers if you like a good contemporary romance. It is so well done. This was, I'm going to attribute all of my love current romance books to this book. This is the one that started it all. This is the first, I will say, romance of its kind that I read that sort of started me down this journey uh, to today where all I read pretty much is romance. And so I will attribute that to Penny Reed. Thank you, Penny. 
But this book follows identical twins, Bo and Dwayne Winston. I feel like that should really be it uh, and you could be sold, but I'll tell you more about it. So they both have the same devastatingly handsome face, but where Bo is outgoing and sociable, Dwayne is broody and reserved. This is why perpetually level-headed Jessica James has been in a naive and unhealthy infatuation with Bo Winston for most of her life. Whereas Dwayne and Jessica have always been adversaries. She can't stand him. She's pretty much sure he can't stand the sight of her. But after a case of mistaken identity, Jessica finds herself in a massive confusion for Fuffle. Jessica James has spent her whole life paralyzed by the fantasy of Bo and her assumptions of Dwayne's disdain. Therefore, she's unprepared for the reality that is Dwayne's insatiable interest, as well as his hot hands and hot mouth and hotter looks. I can't. I really, if we get down to the psychology, like this book has all the things that I obviously just gravitate towards in romance. We have enemies to lovers. There's a biker gang. There's, we have twins. I like, again, mistaken identity. Um, But yes, when Jessica finds herself drawn to the man who has always been her adversary, how much of her level-headed heart was she willing to risk? This is a standalone Um, The Winston Brothers series follows a Winston brother. There are six of them. So buckle up and get ready. I love that you can read these, you know, again, back to back to back, or you can just pick one up at your leisure and you're not going to be missing anything else in the world. But obviously the more you read, the more you kind of can enjoy this community that Penny Reed has created in Green Valley, Tennessee. So check it out. That is Truth or Beard. My Penny Reed. This is a throwback to 2015, but again, it holds up. So my final book is um, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Um, Colson, of course, has won many, many awards and has written so many phenomenal books, including this one, which was um, a Pulitzer Prize winner in 2020. So this is about Elwood Curtis, a black boy growing up in 1960s Tallahassee, and he is unfairly sentenced to a juvenile reformatory called the Nickel Academy. He finds himself trapped in a grotesque chamber of horrors. Elwood's only salvation is is his friendship with his fellow quote-unquote delinquent Turner, which deepens despite Turner's conviction that Elwood is hopelessly naive, that the world is crooked, and that the only way to survive is to scheme and avoid trouble. As life at the Academy becomes even more perilous, the tension between Elwood's ideals and Turner's skepticism leads to a decision whose repercussions will echo down the decades. So Colson Whitehead based this on the real story of a reform school that operated for 111 years and warped the lives of um, thousands of children. And this book, the end of this book, I cannot talk about the end of this book. It devastated me in a way that I possibly should have seen coming and yet did not. (laughs) Or even if I did, I was like, no, there's, there's no way that that's what's going to happen. And it, if you have read Colson, any Colson Whitehead, you know he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal writer. Um, and I I absolutely 
I love the Nickel Boys. And when it comes to recommending any of his books, um, this is usually the first one that I will go to. Um, it's also not very long. And it's just, it's just so, it's just an incredibly book, incredible book, especially when you do know that it is based on somewhat of, you know, a school that operated under very similar horrific, um, that just the things that they did to those boys is, is just awful. So my last pick, uh, I have to wrap up with a YA series because who would I be if not a YA reader? So this started in 2012 and wrapped in 2020. I know I have talked about it on the podcast at least once, but this is the Diviner series by Libba Bray. It's an older YA series about a group of, and by that I mean it's like a vaguely older YA reader. Like you're not like you're not pushing middle grade this toward middle grade or like that beginner. It's not you know whatever. Uh, but it's about a group of teens with gifts in the 1920s as they work to first stop a killer and then a mysterious evil that threatens the world. Shocker, Joe picked a book about teens with powers. So Evangeline O'Neill has been exiled from her boring old hometown and is sent off to the bustling streets of New York City. And she's ecstatic. It's 1926 and New York is filled with speakeasies, Zigfield girls, and rakish pickpockets. The only catch is she has to live with her Uncle Will and his unhealthy obsession with the occult. Evie worries he'll discover her darkest secret, a supernatural power that has only brought her trouble so far. When the police find a murdered girl branded with a cryptic symbol and Will is called to the scene, Evie realizes her gift could help catch a serial killer. As Evie jumps headlong into a dance with a murderer, other stories unfurl in the city that never sleeps. And unknown to all, something dark and evil has awakened. So, as y'all know, I love me some folks with powers. I love the vibe of the 20s. It's a great series if you like group dynamics, love triangles, will they, won't they's, and solid twists and turns. It's our world, but enhanced. Uh, the audiobook, well, all of the audiobooks, so there are four books in this series. They are all read by the same narrator. That is a very important thing for me to say because very important for my listening pleasure that the same person did all four books. Uh, they are quick reads, so much fun, great series as a whole, a lot of interesting topics between supernatural gifts, kind of the sci-fi, uh, can we rebuild Million Dollar Man, Captain America style as well. So you got a touch of everything. You've got some true crime. You got the Roaring Twenties. What more could you want? So that is the Diviners series by Libba Bray. Well, this brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you all so much for joining us as we shared the books we can't stop recommending. As always, links to all of those books will be in the episode description. Marissa, thank you for joining us today to share your books. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to come back. Yeah, come back anytime. Uh, maybe you'll challenge me and we can read some adventure stories. Well, listeners, thank you all so much for joining us today. And as always, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. 
And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.